Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and we are talking Manhattan today, Johnny, and we're talking about a very, very, very timely and hot topic that's going on right now, this, this commission structure change that's going to be hitting a lot of our co-brokerage agreements January 1, 2024. I don't know when the exact court date is set to be resolved or, or, or stuff like that, but we're going to try to answer some of those questions today, Johnny, and we got a good one. We got Ryan Tomasello here. And I think he's going to answer a lot of questions we have here, Johnny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Ryan has been uh, focused on this industry from a Wall Street perspective, I mean, for many, many years. And, you know, the interesting thing about the lawsuit that went in, right, you know, the, the, the verdict that came out a couple of months ago seemed like sort of a watershed moment. But, you know, if you're Ryan and you're sitting back and you're watching this thing, this has been unfolding over a period of years. So it's good to get that, good to get that perspective. Yeah, exactly. We got Ryan Tomasello. He is a managing director over at KBW. Ryan, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And let's just start high level. I would like to know, Ryan, first off and get it out of the way, what is your company's angle in the situation? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Noah and John. Appreciate the opportunity. I'm I'm a Wall Street research analyst. So our, our role here is to cover a universe of, of public stocks and to provide investment advice to institutional investors across across the street. And you know, my coverage universe spans a, a diverse mix of real estate companies, real estate services, technology. I've I've covered real estate for the past 10 years here at KBW. And I, you know, I, I do follow a lot of the brokerage stocks, the along with my colleagues, uh, some of the real estate portals. And so we've been following this unfold for the last 18 months or so and spent a lot of time trying to understand what this means for some of the larger companies out there, how investors should be positioning to respond to how this could impact them. Great. So let's let's start with that point indeed. Let's let's drill down and just could you explain it like I'm five years old? Yeah, it, it's not easy. And one one thing I'll add is that, you know, our approach to this whole storyline really is is at a high level on a national basis. I know that you know, a lot of the folks in this audience might be more New York City focused, which is obviously a very nuanced market. So that's just one little asterisk I'll put alongside of all of my comments here. But, you know, at, at a high level, you you have a number of class action lawsuits, three initial ones going into the fall that were filed by individual home sellers, alleging that the rules and policies of the National Association of Realtors, all of the major brokerages, effectively are a collusion to enforce and, and maintain uh, commissions, uh, particularly on the buy side, that those commissions that sellers and listing agents offer to buyer brokers. And so what you had here in October was the first trial, uh, the first lawsuit that actually went to trial and got a negative verdict in terms of the, the verdict against NAR and two large brokerages, Keller Williams, Home Services of America, you know, finding them guilty of, of colluding to enforce these rules that allegedly inflate commissions. And going forward, you know, the question now becomes what what the remedies will be to alleviate this, you know, alleged anti-competitive structure. And you've also had a number of copycat, quote, quote unquote, copycat lawsuits filed once we have this precedent in, in this court. And so the question now becomes, you know, what does this mean for market structure? What does this mean for commissions? Who's paying them? And so I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, you just you just set up a segue there perfectly because that's my next question. I need to, you know, the agents are the ones listening to this and they are in New York City and they are definitely want to know how does this how does this hit them? What are the rule changes and how does this all play out in practice? 
I think a very important thing to realize in this whole storyline is that these lawsuits aren't occurring in a vacuum. They're they're part of a much bigger storyline that spans really over the last century of very consistent criticism of the brokerage industry and the main powers at B NAR brokerages led by academics, the, the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission. And so these lawsuits really represent the first time that this is coming to a head in the civil courts and going after what is really a key leg of the stool that we, you know, that really keeps this whole system together in terms of cooperative compensation agreements in the MLS. And so knowing that the Department of Justice and other federal agencies like the FTC also have an invested interest here, who are in contact with these, the legal counsel in these, in these court cases have, you know, discussed the analyses that academics have run over the years. You know, we have a good sense of what, you know, those stakeholders are looking for in order to promote what they think is a more competitive and fair market around how real estate commissions are set and paid and negotiated going forward. Ultimately, just to boil it down to the to the bottom line, we think that compensation agreements between buyers and sellers, listing agents and buyer agents in the MLS will be eliminated going forward. And so what does that mean? It means that buyers are going to be the ones who are negotiating compensation arrangements directly with their own agents, buyer agents, upfront uh, at the beginning of the process. We, we think when this is all said and done, listing agents and home sellers will be prohibited from making these quote unquote blanket offers of compensation upfront that es essentially preset commissions and A, afford buyers little flexibility really to negotiate commissions, but more importantly, afford buyers very little transparency around how this whole process works, even sellers. It's one of the most surprising stats I came across in this whole um, process has been, you know, I think something like three quarters of, of buyers don't think that they're paying. They don't, and they don't think, they don't even know how their agent is paid and going forward that will change. And we think that ultimately puts competitive pressure, downward pressure on commission rates, particularly on the buy side. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's already starting to, to, trickle down into the industry in practice. I know that on the first of the year, the agreements that the sellers are going to make with their agents are going to separate the buy side commission. It's not going to be one commission that's split. It's going to be two commissions. It's going to be X percent for, for me, your seller broker. And then the seller gets to decide, would you like to offer a buy side commission? Right? That's that's in a nutshell, the the conversation at the end of this whole thing after all this stuff is, is would you like to offer a buy side commission? And so the seller has an option. So now you're going to have inventory, you can have supply out there in this future world where X percent of listings are offering 3% commission to buy sides. X percent of listings are offering 1% or 2%. And X percent of listings are saying, you know what? I don't want to offer a buyer's commission to anything. I mean, do you see how do do you think that that might be an unintended consequence to what to what they're trying to do on the other side, or or they're not thinking that way? We've seen a lot of different changes around the edges occur over the last several years. You know, 
obviously the, the most recent ones have been ones like in the New York market and the, on the broader national level, NAR saying that, you know, these offers of these, these co-broke offers can now be zero instead of as little as one penny. You know, that's also what occurred in other MLSs bright, you know, several months back Northwest MLS back in 2020. I think the industry needs to start to realize at least how we think this plays out that this whole, this whole structure is going to be reset. There is no, there's no longer going to be these upfront offers, whether, whether they're from listing agents or from sellers. So yes, near term, you've had this shift from, okay, we're clarifying that the offer is coming from the seller. It's not, it's no longer a split from the listing agent. That's definitely a step towards, you know, where we're going, but it's, it's a very small step because I think I, like I said, ultimately there isn't going to be no longer a field in your MLS to make these offers. And at the end of the day, as a seller, when you are fielding offers from buyers, some of those buyers will have hired buyer agents and have determined what they're paying those buyer agents at the end of the day, whether it's a commission rate based on the price of the home, whether it's a flat fee, whether it's a a la carte service. And that seller at the negotiation table will have the option to say, I, I will agree to pay that commission, or I will agree to credit you X amount of money at the closing table, just like I, you know, a seller could do for other closing costs. But the important thing is that the seller is not setting the commission. It is being determined on the buy side up front. And so it, it's really this complete right. upend of, of how, how agents and, and home buyers and sellers, you know, know how the system works today. Right. Thank, and that's, you've already said a ton that's been extremely helpful and a very you know clarifying, but I wanted to get into a little bit sort of on the revenue side. And I think part of the value you bring to this, this conversation, Ryan, is that as a Wall Street guy, you, you don't make money by being emotional about one thing. You don't make money by just falling in love with something and just, you know, praising it effusively over and over. Honestly, you make money by being right. And you make money when your calls are right and you, the investors who follow you make money. So with that in mind, and you're looking at this industry, some of the current revenue models may not work going forward. And I'm curious, when you think about the changes that are coming, what kind of new revenue models might you envision going forward? I, mean, I think this is a catalyst that opens up opportunities for alternative approaches to the types of uh, advice and, and consultation that buyers receive for, from a third party, like, like an agent in the process. You know, today, because buyer agent commissions are, in most cases, preset by the listing agent or the seller, you know, buyer agents don't really have the ability to compete on price. Yes, there's rebates and there's different mechanisms to, um, you know, differentiate yourself in the market. But going forward, you know, buyer, buyer agents or those agents that focus on buyers will be able to say, hmm, you know, it is the value of the service I'm providing here as an agent that's been in this market for 20 years better than the individual who's, who just got their license and has been around for, you know, a month, you know, how can I help, uh, how can I better monetize the value of that service in this new type of pricing structure and vice versa as a, as a new buyer agent or someone who's less experienced, you know, how can I compete on price or flexibility around the types of services I offer? As I was saying earlier, an example being, you know, offering a flat fee or saying, 
I don't, you know, I, this buyer doesn't need me to drive them around, drive them around the market for the, for the next month. They'll call me up when they found three homes and I'll, you know, help them in that last mile effort through, you know, the showings, you know, the uh, inspections, et cetera. You know, in terms of how that impacts the different stakeholders here, brokerages, the portals, you know, I think there is some expectation that pressure on the buyer agent commission pool will negatively impact, you know, these larger, you know, corporations that, that, you know, drive the revenue models off of, off of commissions. You know, there's also, we've also had discussions around, you know, how this impacts commission splits and, and whether or not, you know, the most powerful agents and agent teams become even more powerful in this new market structure and therefore can command higher splits going forward. You know, the portals are also a very interesting storyline alongside of this where, you know, the existing first generation portals like a Zillow or Realtor.com, you know, largely derive, derive their revenues off of buyer agents and, and providing leads and oftentimes even splitting and sharing those commissions. So, you know, the portals have puts and takes in terms of how we think this could impact them. But I think near term, there is some debate around there, there being disruption risk to a model like Zillow, just as they might need to adapt, you know, how they, you know, how they're monetizing their audience and providing value to the agent community. Yeah. So you think the teams, the teams is where it's really all going to be. Everything is kind of going towards teams. You think it's going to be a cannibalistic market towards individual agents over the longer run, right? Or at least, at least it's going to be harder to compete on the longer run. I mean, if there's one thing that I think most industry folks tend to agree with, with when, when we've done work on this whole topic it's it's that there's too many agents in this in this country <laughs> and it depends on how you define agents and, and the number that you use but looking simplistically at you know nar membership and the 1.6 million realtors out there you know that that's definitely a standout stat in terms of you know how many agents typically exist in other countries you know there's survey work that is published that says the average realtor is doing like a dozen transactions i i don't think that that's a real number. I think it's biased to the people that take that survey. If you just run the raw math around supply of home sales and number of agents, it implies that it, that number is a fourth of that, like three or four. Right. And it, you know, real estate is the classic example of like the 80-20 rule where 20% of agents are doing 80% of the work. If that's, I don't know if that's the exact right number, but you know, the different stats do support that. So at the end of the day, we think that you do see agent attrition come out of this whole shakeout, you know, and that agent attrition ultimately benefits the real full-time value providing agents in this industry. And so I've said in my conversations with, you know, actually, you know, folks that work in the spaces, if like, if you know about enough about this topic to care about it, you're probably going to be fine and should be rooting for this disruption because, you know, we think that competition in terms of you know the number of agents that are out there competing for the, for that commission might decline, and so even though the revenue pool might shrink, the, the pieces of that pie grow. Yeah, so let me follow up on that because I think that's that's a really excellent point, and I've and I've read studies that suggest 
that perhaps maybe 20 to 40% of the agent count might just sort of slough off since they just don't have enough deals to sustain themselves. But I wanted to look at the broader picture because, you know, you look at, you know, you mentioned the, the low supply right now of inventory and just the demand of houses and prices are going up. You, you combine those, right? And then you factor in everything that's tangential to real estate, right? On the attorney side, on the, the lending side, the home improvement side, like all of these things touch real estate at one point or the other to the to the point where real estate is is really sort of supporting a, a fairly significant slice of US GDP. And if I was going to back away and just ask you sort of broad strokes, is the change we're going to see, is that enough to sort of, is that a catalyst for change in the economies? Are we going to free up enough capital that's being essentially saved from commissions to sort of generate activity in other sectors? No, it's a great question. I mean, and it's the, it's the beauty of like this industry of how, how many things touch it and how impactful it is across other, you know, industries and, 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 and uh, you know, people who provide different services across this market. I think the big picture is that we think friction costs when, as it relates to the housing transaction will come down in the form of, you know, commission rates coming down. Yeah. And, you know, it's, this is a pool of assets that in, in a normal year, <laughs> not like the one that we're in or the one we'll be in next year, in a normal year is turning over at a rate of $2 trillion annually. And so if you take a step back and look at, you know, typical commission rates at five to 6%, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of money, right? That gets thrown around $100 billion round numbers in, in, in a normalized year. And that, and that commission rate does stand out amongst countries across the world. And so, we, you know, we think that that five to six, if, you know, if you run the math on an apples to apples basis could come down, you know, to three to four over, over the next, you know, five, 10 years, depending on how this plays out and how much consumer education ensues. If you think about the other knock-on impacts here, I mean, one obvious one is, is the role that buyer agents play in re referring, you know, business to other, you know, services that are, you know, that revolve around the transaction, whether that's mortgage title, right? And so, you know, it begs the question, you know, if the role of buyer, if some buyer agents in some transactions is diminished, you know, who picks up, who picks up, you know, the benefit of that referral source going forward, you know, how do many of the, you know, localized title agents or, you know, mortgage um, loan officers source their business going forward. Now, mortgages will still need to be originated and title insurance still needs to be underwritten. So it will go somewhere, but it's just an interesting consideration, you know, when you think about the knock-on impacts here. And as I said earlier, I think the portal space is an interesting one. We talked about talked about Zillow. I think another player that comes up a lot in this topic is CoStar and Homes.com, this new brand that they're building and the revenue model that they're aiming to bring to the market that's a bit different and focused on the listing side and advertising listings as opposed to selling leads to buyer agents. And that really gets down this rabbit hole of market structure and MLSs and, the, and <laughs> you know this different role that MLSs and portals play in different markets. But yeah, it's it's fascinating the amount of knock-on impacts that you could that could occur when this is all said and done. Yeah, and Ryan, I just want to just, sorry, go ahead. No, I well, I just want to throw one more in. Sure. You, know, you think about the financial industry, right? Dodd Frank certainly changed a lot of stuff, but there was definitely a lot of reorganization after that. But you know, profit profit does return to the industry. The the ship sort of righted itself. And you think about everything that happened in the mortgage industry, right? People still use loan officers to to get things done. So it's not like we're replacing an entire set of people. It's just we're going to, you know, restructure how things are done. But it does, it does seem to me. I think you're absolutely right. It does seem to me to unlock uh, some opportunities here. 
I think the, the good word to use there, John, is like the, the great reshuffling, as I've seen others put it, you know, where you have, you know, this this musical chairs of, of different shifting yeah. roles when all this dust settles. Yeah. Ryan, how long, does, what's the timeline for how this all plays out? I mean, I think an issue, one thing to consider there is the immense pressure that all of these copycat lawsuits are putting on the industry at large to resolve this situation because, you know, regardless of whether or not you think you're right or wrong, you know, the threat of legal liability and a painful, you know, legal process and legal fees is scary for a lot of folks, not knowing how to operate your business without incurring additional liability. And so ultimately, I think the industry needs to see some form of a mega settlement that wraps everyone into this and, you know, wipes their hands clean of, of all of these lawsuits and, and just moves on with changes, but, you know, just, you know, cleans the slate once and for all. Um, and on top of that, as I mentioned at the outset of this conversation, given the fact that you have the Department of Justice, excuse me, and the federal government involved here, I think that it puts even more added pressure in terms of a a, uh, a timeline that could be a lot quicker than what it, what people would normally think of, like our our clogged legal plumbing system in terms of how long these things take to work through the courts. It, it, it you know considerations there are numerous. You have you know, the NAR that's saying that that they're planning to appeal. There's there's questions around the feasibility of them appealing based on some financial obligations that they would need to put up in the, term, in the form of a bond to move forward. And given the damages that are being claimed here, I mean, it's, you know, $5 billion in, in Missouri alone, nationally, you're talking $400 plus billion. <laughs> so, you know, can they appeal? Ultimately, I think... We think that the timeline here is going to play out a lot sooner than what some of these large stakeholders like the brokerages and others who have voiced opinions here over the last several months are saying. We think that you do probably see this get resolved and meaningful changes get implemented and mandated potentially within the next, as soon as the next six months, if not over the next year, I would think. There's definitely different considerations there, but this could be happening a lot sooner than what I what some people might think. Right. All right. So, Ryan, you know, you mentioned the the effect of friction, right? Lowering friction. And I, I kind of want to come back to that, except put the consumers aside. I want to talk about the agent side right now. And our our core audience is professional real estate agents in New York City. A lot of folks sort of woke up to this news. They had not been following it since 2019. They hadn't followed the developments. There are copycat lawsuits out there. Some of them heard of those, but this was sort of a wake-up call. And even though it did not affect, you know, Rebney, which is the local organization here, it does affect Rebney, the local organization here, because these things, you know, are all they're all interconnected. So talking about that lowering friction, I'm curious. A lot of folks woke up and they're just absolutely panicked. They don't know what to do. You've been watching this unfold. What would your advice be for someone who's just sort of has been living under a rock and they've come out and the sun is absolutely blinding and they are just absolutely freaked out. What do you think? I'm not a lawyer, so I, I'm not, I'm going to refrain from any legal advice, but I would say right. I, I would, I would be taking this, this situation very seriously in terms of how it could cause the industry to evolve going forward. And with, with these disruptive opportunity, with this, with these types of disruptive events in any industry comes meaningful opportunity and there will be winners and losers and those that the losers will be those that just sit, sit in place and, and refuse to react. Um, and so, 
you know, whether that's, you know, reading up on, you know, exactly how these lawsuits might play out and trying to get an indication of exactly what the new structure might look like. And I think going back to our, our this earlier question around alternative models, I think, you know, there is potentially an opportunity here for more differentiation of agent brokerage services in the form of how, how they are charged and how they're delivered, you know, again, whether that's, you know, competing on price or offering, you know, piecemeal a la carte type services. But I would just say, take this seriously. I think it's going to be impactful. And those that don't take the time to to come up with a game plan and, and contingency plan are, are, are going to be the ones that are left flat-footed when, when the dust settles. Yeah, this, this is a proactive situation. This is not one of those things where you just, oh, I'll see how this all plays out. And then, you know, we'll deal with it there. This is, you know, you're going to have to reestablish all the value of your services from a buy side perspective, I guess. And and if you're an agent, I mean, now is the time to up your game. Am I right? And now is the time to really know your stuff, know the market. I mean, if you are a buyer, all the things you would want that professional to tell you, you need to know all of that stuff and and you need to solidify your clients now and going forward. Why are people using you? I mean, these are questions I guess that brokers didn't have to answer all the time, but it might come up. It might That's come right. up I mean, now that it's being separated. You know, I think we're moving towards a new structure where, you know, buyer representation agreements, buyer agency agreements, whatever you call them, are going to be a standard practice. And these are going to be agreements that aren't maybe the soft, you know, sign on the dotted line, don't even read it thing of, of the past that maybe a lot of agents use or buyers are used to. Buyer agents are going to need to actually pitch to buyers like why they should be hired <laughs> and the value of the, of the service that they're delivering to them and why they should get paid what, what they should get paid. I think buyers will be signing a contract that says, I am paying John and Noah X percent at the end of this transaction. And that added transparency that buyers now have before they go out and start shopping for homes with an agent is going to be a big deal in terms of, like you said, Noah, buyer agents being very capable of validating that value that they're bringing to that home buyer and why should why they should be hired, why they should get paid, what they should get paid. Um, yeah. So brush up on that. And I, I'd say just one clarification. I mean, Revney is is involved now in this, in this, in this whole legal yeah. process. I mean, they are a named defendant in one of these copycat lawsuits. So, you know, <laughs> there's really there's no escaping, you know, this, this whole fallout from this verdict. Yeah, it's coming. All right. Well, um, John, any final questions for Ryan? No, Ryan, appreciate it very much. Yeah. Yeah. This has been very, very helpful. And again, Ryan, I, what I like about you is you're, again, to repeat for anyone that's joining us late, you are not in the New York City real estate business. You are not an attorney. You have an outsider's perspective, a Wall Street perspective. You are, for those of you that missed it, this is Ryan Tomasello, Managing Director over at KBW. And and I really appreciated this perspective from all of your research that you've done on this topic for, for the last X amount of years. How long have you been covering this topic for, Ryan? I've uh, been following the whole lawsuit topic for maybe 18 to 24 months, but like I said earlier, we've been you know, following the whole industry in general for the last 10 years, so it's, uh, yeah. it's a fun one to cover. Yeah, in the last year or two, it really ramped up. So, I mean, thank you for sharing what you know about what's going on. Again, that is Ryan Tomasello, manage, Managing Director over at KBW. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt, and this has been Talking Manhattan. 
and we will catch you next time.